Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition, the June twenty third, twenty twenty one edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, where I am joined. My old friend Scott Rafferty, a year away of NBA Canada, one of my favorite people to talk basketball with in Charlotte, North Carolina. Scott, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Um, thank you for for all that. It's always a pleasure to be on your pod. So, but I, I'm doing well. It's a good time in the NBA world right now. So, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. How much is this clashing with your Euro watching? Your Euro 2021 watching? None at all, because mm. I might be one of the fake, fakest Brits that you'll you'll ever meet. Because I, I have no interest mm. in uh, in football. I'm I'm going to call it football on your podcast. I'm not even going to say soccer. Mm. But um, I I'm I'm just strictly NBA. So I, I'm kind of a, I'm a fake Brit in that sense. So do you not watch any other sports really outside of the NBA? You know what? I don't even watch like any other basketball. I, I don't really huh. watch any college basketball. I'm I'm strictly NBA. I feel like that just takes up. So much of my time, so much of my energy, you know, because I just pull so much into it. That uh, yeah, when I'm not watching the NBA, I'm, I'm I'm doing other stuff. I'm playing video games. I gotta, I got I gotta go other places. So so yeah. Okay. Um, that's interesting because like Tennessee got knocked out in the College World Series yesterday. Um, this was a really really deep run, and this was a really fun time for them. But the Braves are playing in baseball. There's a lot of games. The Hawks keep advancing, and Atlanta they United sure plays tonight. Like. I I feel weird complaining about this, but like I woke up today and I was I was angry, Scott, because tonight <laughs> the Braves too much. Yeah, Atlanta United and the Hawks all play tonight, and I just it's too much content. Like there's too much for me to watch. There's too much. It's overwhelming. And uh, when uh, you know this, when you have a when you have a partner in crime, like you gotta you gotta make sacrifice. You gotta pick and choose what uh, what gets your time and to uh, to find that healthy balance. But Man, it it's annoying. Like I, I felt kind of a relief. Uh, I'm sorry to all of my fellow Vols fans. There was a sense of relief, honestly, that they got eliminated. Where I was like, all right, one thing off my plate because this is too much. Like I, <laughs> I need things off my plate. I need like the Hawks just playing into what are we June 23rd? It's just foreign territory to me. Like I don't even know what to do with this, and it just it keeps going. And I'm like, well, the Braves are playing, so the Braves need to stop until the Hawks are eliminated or win the title. Like, let's just pause the Braves, pause Atlanta United, and then we'll catch back up because I, I'm tired, Scott. Hey, I, I get it. Um, I, I get tired from, from just NBA. As I said, it's, it's, there's NBA basically every single night when the season's going on, and I absolutely love it. But, you know, it, it, it is hard to keep up with everything. So that's why, you know. And also, for me, like, I... I I didn't really follow many other teams um, or other sports. Like growing up, I got into mm-hmm. basketball at a pretty early age. Mm-hmm. And living in Europe, like it's it's much harder to watch games in Europe, especially back then. Um, you know, now it's easier with league pass and everything like that. But for me, it was you know kind of introduced to the game, watching highlights, going through box scores. I latched onto the Rockets because my favorite player is T Mac, and then it's kind of just developed from there. So I've I've had a, a pretty unique i guess uh sports fandom path to this point mm. how are the how are the black cats i seem to recall you had two scott 
See, this is how I know it's been a while because oh, no. I used to have two. One no, of them, one, one no. of them unfortunately passed away no. like a year ago, which which does make sense. But um, we 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 got a second cat, and uh, she she's a tortie, so she's she's hilarious. She's brought a lot of joy into our lives. But the cats are, the cats are doing well, even though there's a there's a different one now. Oh man, see that uh, I, that's how life works, I guess. When there's been it's been year. too long, man. It's been too long. That's how that's how you know. Um, you know what else has been too long, Scott? Hit me. Ben Simmons not uh not working on the whole jump shot stuff. It's been a little little long that uh he has not addressed this situation. I go back and forth on this with it part of it is just like what I read and who I listen to and then I just go back and forth cuz I'm like, "Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't considered it in that way." And then I'll just go and I'll read something else or I'll dive into something else and nba.com/stats or whatever and I'll just go through some stuff and I'm like, "Hmm. Well, I, I go back to what I originally thought. Like he is the hardest person to understand. I, like Atlanta sports media, I think uh was just way over the top in the way they were talking about uh, Ben Simmons in the series. And, like, obviously people remember him passing up the open layup in Game 7 and things like that and just not looking for any shots at all and then just, like, putting up... Like, I think he only had, like, what, three shots in the fourth quarter uh, all that entire playoff series against the Hawks. Like, he's just not not looking for his shot at all. And then the intentional fouls, obviously, were getting in his head. And I think... I still believe the Hawks win game six had he not gotten into foul trouble. Like if they did not pull him, I think the Hawks actually close it in six if you were watching that game. But I uh, I don't know what to do with this because Amin Al-Hassan on Todd Haberstroh's podcast uh, earlier this week, I thought made a really good point in that like if he's just used strictly as Draymond and he has a lead point guard like a Kyle Lowry or something like that, we don't look at him this way. And like he's already on his way to being like just a 10-time defensive for all defense player a guy who's just going to break all kinds of passing and steal records and everything else and assist records. And if he doesn't develop his shot and he only does this, like he's still a hall of fame player. It's just that the way that the Sixers are constructed, he has to develop a jump shot or none of this works because you're living and dying by Seth Curry and Joel Embiid's knees. Like that's just not, not something that's going to work long term either and like you just can't be living and dying by Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton and Seth Curry popping out to save you in the fourth quarter or save you in late in the third I I don't know what what do you make of all of this Scott well I, I think the tricky thing is is that it's it's very easy to just pile on the stuff that he doesn't do because it is a very glaring weakness and it's easy to forget the stuff that he does do really well and what's interesting about Ben Simmons is that I think the way that he plays like you can still, and we've seen it, the Philadelphia 76ers have been a very good regular season team with him being the, whatever you want to do, second best player on that team. But it's his flaws just become magnified in the playoffs in a way that it really does feel like it just puts a ceiling, like a very hard ceiling on this team. Um, it, it is difficult because obviously the jump shot is, is what everyone is talking about right now. Actually, not even the jump shot, like the free throws as well. Um, but I, I, I keep... Part of me just keeps going back to the fact that, like, if you were to build a team around Ben Simmons that plays entirely to his strengths, it would not look like the Philadelphia 76ers, would it? Because, and I think this is what's interesting about some of the trade scenarios that's being thrown around him, because um, obviously those are getting fired up at this point after their, their, their exit, their early exit in the playoffs. Like, if you were able to put him on a team where he can play in space, play in that kind of Draymond Green role where maybe he's just a facilitator from the elbows and the perimeter and everything like that, 
like maybe he looks like a completely different player and we're kind of just pigeonholing him to a, a situation that that's just not great for him. Um, in saying that, I, I, I've, I've heard the, the Draymond Green comparison for him so much at this point, and I just did it. But the reality is, like, offensively, yes, we can talk about him being like a Draymond Green type of player. Defensively, they're just so different. And I think what makes Draymond Green so great is, one, he can basically switch every single position, and you can, you can throw him out on an island against anyone when you need him to. But he's also, like, one of the best rim protectors in the league who can guard five. And I, I do, I think that's also part of the difficulty with Ben Simmons, because I just I don't know if playing him at center or building like a small ball lineup around him is something that you can really do as much as like the Warriors have with Draymond Green. So like that that comparison is a little tricky for me. And I, again, I just think this all speaks to to how difficult of a player that he is to build around. Mm-hmm. Um, but in saying that, it's also easy to take for granted like the things that he does because, like you said, he's arguably the best perimeter defender in the league right now. You look at, at least all on that, ball, like point of the, attack, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's it's just hard, um, and it's it's. I'm, we can talk about trade scenarios if you want, and some teams that might fit with him. But um, I, you know, ideally, I think you'd want to pair him next to a center who does is comfortable playing on the perimeter. And Joel Embiid has improved tremendously as a shooter since he came in the league. Like he had a career year from three this season. He was a fantastic mid range shooter. He completely kind of re remodeled his game to better suit himself in the playoffs. But it, it, ultimately, like Joel Embiid is still at his best when he's back to the basket and, and banging down in the post. And that they, they just kind of occupy the same real estate. And I do wonder if you have two players who want to do that um, all the time. Like that, that's just that's very difficult in today's NBA. Yeah, I I don't know what you what you do. Like like you talk about him just sitting in the dunker spot, and it's become a running joke there. But like you said, Embiid's evolved and Embiid was shooting lights out in the series and he was shooting lights out for the majority of the season. But it's also just like, I don't know, like if he had just gone to Houston in a James Harden trade, like if he is running in Steven Silas free flowing offense, he's the lead ball handler, lead defender, and he is just uh, doing everything, finding Christian Wood wherever and just playing with a bunch of pace and space guys, defensive attackers and Tate and friends. And we appreciate him differently. Like, I think it's partly just that like the expectations are so high, but also the fit has always been weird. And some of it's on him, some of it's not, but it's also just like, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that Kobe thing where it's like in 2019, he's got to develop a jump shot because he's just so damn good at everything else. Like he is elite at everything else and he was making trey's life a mm-hmm. living hell from the majority of that series trey did not shoot the ball that well and was very frustrated with simmons on him most of the games and that switch uh really almost flipped the series all together for the for the sixers when they took green off him and green left and all that kind of stuff but like ultimately if simmons was an average like 35 percent three-point shooter he's like the second or third best player in basketball right like that's the annoying thing about ben simmons well always be annoying about him is that like and why i would be so terrified of trading him if i'm daryl morey because like if he reaches anywhere close to his offensive ceiling then you have the second best player in basketball potentially like i just i don't i don't even know what i I would just be so terrified and so concerned about moving him for somebody like cj cj mccollum stuff stinks like that's not pushing philly into a title contention type situation what makes more sense to me is the people who posited the the kyle lowry but keep simmons like you don't trade him you just see what happens with simmons as a four 
and you actually bring in a stable half-court offense guy late in games who can help Joel Embiid, and you're not living and dying by Maxi and Shake Milton and Seth Curry and guys like that. Does that does that does that work with you at all? No, it, it totally does. And I, but I also think that one of the most frustrating things to me about Ben Simmons is that we've seen him dominate games offensively without even looking to shoot. Like I, I'll go back to him scoring 42 points against Rudy Gobert this season. And I feel like I had never seen Ben Simmons play so aggressively offensively. And he was just barreling his way to the rim, drawing contact, not worried about going to the free throw line, finishing at the rim over Rudy Gobert and anyone else that the Jazz threw at him. And obviously to a much, much lesser degree, but I think it was, was it game three of that Hulk series where he, what felt like for a quarter, basically, he was just like, I'm going to get the ball in the post and put my head down every single time because you guys can't keep up with me. Mm. Um, I think that's the most frustrating thing for me is that like, I feel like we've seen him put his stamp on games offensively, even without a jump shot. And to your point, like, yeah, if he does develop a jump shot, he arguably is one of the best players, if not the best player in the league. But the, the tricky thing, and I think not to compare him to Giannis, but we've seen this with Giannis where it's like for so long, the talk about him has been like, if he only had a jump shot, what kind of play would he be? Ultimately, he's so good in like in the paint that teams are always going to live with him becoming being a jump shooter unless he's just turns into like Ray Allen, which is just not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? So like even Ben Simmons, him taking two or three threes a game, people it, like teams probably aren't ever going to respect him from there because he is so good in the paint. Yeah. But in saying that, obviously it's a weapon that he needs, and I think sort of like Giannis, like he probably would even benefit more from just having like. Like even just taking a mid-range pull-up or getting more comfortable with like floaters in the paint, um, I, I think mm. that would go a long way for him. And I also think like the, the Portland thing, the one thing that intrigues me about Portland and, and the use of Nurkic factor in that makes it complicated because I don't know how they fit together. Mm. But I do think like if you paired Ben Simmons with a guy like Damian Lillard, because I talked about the whole like Joel Embiid wants to live in the paint, Dame is the opposite. Like the amount of gravity Dame has the amount of attention that he draws he's basically getting double teamed like as soon as he crosses half court if he's playing with someone like that and suddenly he's getting the ball in the short roll of the free throw line like maybe we're looking at ben simmons as a completely different player and that's kind of why i i do think he i i, I kind of feel like both sides would benefit from a change of scenery um even keeping in mind what you just said because i'm with you like the, the the possibility of you trading ben simmons and him just developing all these different things over the next five years and being like an MVP, a perennial MVP candidate is terrifying. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's, it, it just doesn't feel like it's going to work out in Philly. Um, that, that's kind of what I ultimately come down to. Yeah. I just don't think there is any trade for him that would give enough value back to Philly where they need to win now. Because like, I think the Embiid stuff, I don't want this to be the case. But like, do you believe he's still playing at a top five in the league level? at i don't know 2023 i have my doubts like i just think this is going to end quickly and end fast and i it sucks but like the tormeniscus stuff we'll see he battled through injuries but you just can't burn these joel Embiid years like you just can't because mm-hmm. like i just i don't see him being 32 and being a top five player in this league i don't i don't think that's gonna be how his body uh, just works out long term i just I, I could be wrong i hope i'm wrong but that just doesn't seem like the, what's gonna happen so whatever trade you have to make for simmons you have to bring in enough talent like a james harden type to make it all worth for joel Embiid's timeline because he is the process he is the main guy so like i just i don't really know 
who it is. Like, I don't know what guy, because I don't think Bradley Beal is... Uh, like, it's closer, but, like, Harden was probably the answer here, and they chose not to. Yeah. I, I just don't know who the other superstar, top 10 talent type guy who they could throw in there and be just the number one team in the East still and just be a team that could come out and win an NBA championship during these last few years of Embiid's prime. Like, I don't know. What do you think? I It's it's interesting because I do feel like, like going to C.J. McCollum, for example, Like I think we can agree that Ben Simmons in totality is a better player than C.J. McCollum. He has a much higher yeah. feeling and everything like that. But I wonder if you do kind of sacrifice that maybe C.J. McCollum being a better fit offensively and providing something else that you need specifically for this team, maybe that makes up for that difference. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't really know. Cause like you, I don't, I think C.J. would actually be a really good fit. I mean, he's, he's basically like a better Seth Curry offensively. Right. And we saw, we saw how important Curry was. And that's not to take anything away from Curry. Cause he's awesome. I've always loved him, but um, we saw how important he was in that series. And if you can have an upgrade of a player who kind of ticks those same boxes, I think that would really help them, but it's in terms of like teams, Portland's the easy one just because their matchup, uh, the the salaries match up so easy. Ben Simmons and, and CJ McCollum, and I do think they 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 do help in certain ways on both sides. Um, Dallas, I don't know if they could do it. I'm kind of intrigued by it. The thought of him being next to uh, like a stretch five in Paul Zingas, bringing like a defensive mindset to that team and playing off of Luca, I think like that's somewhere that he could kind of be unlocked. Other than that, though, I think Chicago is being mentioned. And I, 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 like if Zach Levine's going back to Philly in that situation, maybe it makes sense. But I don't know if Chicago would do that, um, which is a, a topic that I feel like we, we, we think was crazy if we were saying that like six to eight months ago. Um, and then the other one's Minnesota, because, again, you're pairing him next to one of the best, if not the best shooting big man in the league in Carl Anthony Towns and allowing him to play in space. And suddenly... You know, Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns aren't known known for their defense. You you give them one of the best permanent defenders in the league. Um, but th- I mean, but that's the thing. Like, none of this is guaranteed. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, even with all that in mind, I think there's still a yeah, but um, to almost any team with Ben Simmons, just because he he is really tricky to build around as long as he, he kind of doesn't have that jump shot. But I I, I am the, the weird thing about him is like he came into the league right, and and the whole talk was about him being this supersized point guard. And then was it last year before the bubble? There was all that talk about him, them turning him into a power forward. And then yeah. he's basically back to being their primary ball handler this season. And mm-hmm. it, it just feels like he's in kind of like that positional limbo, um, even on like both sides of the court. And it, that, that just makes things even trickier. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, the, the most appetizing to me, I think the Levine one is actually a really, really interesting one. But I think you just trade it for Vucevic so you don't move on from Levine. And they have some contracts that they have to figure out this offseason with him because I think he's eligible for an extension now. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, that would be tricky. Brandon Ingram is probably who I call because I call about Brandon Ingram. And if you believe Ingram can be a top 10, 15 like a top 10 top 15 offensive player in this league half court assassin with Embiid as the Embiid number two option and maybe uh Lonzo or something like that for Simmons that that's the kind of thing where I'm like hmm that that would intrigue me that Brandon Ingram I haven't seen that really talked about much but like clearly there's some disconnect with Zion and Brandon Ingram and what's going on in New Orleans that's kind of a mess but uh would you would you entertain that if you're Maury and David Griffin See that—that's the thing 
and it keeps going back to like how tricky it is to to kind of find a trade that suits both sides perfectly because I I think you're right like if you had Lonzo and then and then Brandon Ingram next to Joel Embiid in Philly like that that does make sense but then if you're New Orleans like do you want to pair Zion and Ben Simmons together because I would try it see what happens like it'd be so much fun to watch I don't know it couldn't be going any worse in uh, New Orleans right I mean, you're starting Eric Bledsoe you're, you're, as the lead guard. Like, I, I think I'd rather just have Ben Simmons be my lead guard than, uh, than that. I mean, it's it's interesting, and I, I just think based on some of the reporting that's come out, like you want to do everything you can to to kind of cater to Zion and and make sure that he's happy. And I just wonder if pairing him with a with a, another guy who only wants to score in the paint as well, if you're going to run into some issues there, because I think ultimately. Similar thing with Ben Simmons. Like you want to surround him with with shooters, basically every position, um, even more so with him because of how dominant of a scorer he is. But I mean, it, it, would, it would definitely be interesting. Like fast breaks with those two would be absolutely unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, the highlights would be incredible. And I think, it, but again, like I, I think they'd probably be a really good regular season team, really hard to slow down. But then you'd see some of those holes come up in the playoffs for the Pelicans. Yeah, that's all you should be doing. Like, you're not winning a title. None of this is going to work long term. Like, you're just trying to keep your team from moving to Seattle. We saw that report. Like, that's that should be the goal. Fun regular season. Get people in there. Like, Simmons and Zion will sell tickets. Like, that will be fun, fun to watch. Hire Dan Tony. Uh, just run with Zion and Ben Simmons <laughs> for a couple years. Then Zion asked to be traded. He moves on. But at least you had some fun times with those two before everything falls apart. Like, that... Like, there's no way this stuff ends well in New Orleans. Like, it's already out that, like, he, his family's on it. Like, it's 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 not it's not happening. You have Brandon Ingham tuning out SVG in year one. Like, none of this none of this is working out here. Like, Pelicans fans are awesome. I feel bad for you guys, but like, this isn't this isn't gonna end well. This is this is already over. Like, just make just sell some tickets, make some money, um, keep Gail Benson from from moving the team. I mean, Zion's going to sell tickets all by himself, though. Mm. You know? Well. So. Yeah. Health permitting. Health permitting. Um, That's true. The Suns went up 2-0 last night, Scott. Uh, how how did that happen without CP3 in the lineup again? And should Phoenix, based on what you've seen thus far, be considered the favorites to win the NBA championship this year? I mean, I, I don't know how to talk about this without just gushing about how good Devin Book has been in these playoffs and how him and Trey Young, it felt like, kind of had this this empty stats um, reputation even just going into this season. And, you know, Devin Book was obviously a two-time All-Star. He was an All-Star this season. Trey Young wasn't. But I feel like both of those guys have just completely shredded that label. And Devin Booker in game one of this series goes for a 40-point triple-double, um, just picked the Clippers apart in their drop coverage. He made like 12, I think, jumpers off the dribble, which was like the most that second spectrum has ever recorded um, in the tracking data. Like he he was just incredible. And then in game two, he didn't have it rolling because the Clippers just had Patrick Beverly on him and hounded him. But then you get the the best game of Cameron Payne's life and also the best game probably of DeAndre Ayton's life to to this point of his NBA career. And also like this Suns team, like the the benches, they just play smart players who know what to do. Like Cameron Johnson comes off the bench, gives him a scoring punch. Even like Dario Saric, there were just a couple moments when they're playing small ball and he's posting up smaller guys and punishing for that. And they're just a team that can go eight, nine deep, even without Chris Paul. They're going to give you effort on both ends of the court. Um, And I mean, 
I guess we shouldn't be surprised because like we saw this during the regular season, but just knowing how young and inexperienced that call was outside of Chris Paul going to these playoffs, like it, it is crazy to think that they're, they're two wins away from the finals at this point. Um, in terms of the favorites, I, it, obviously, I, this isn't uh, a hot take. It's between them and the Bucks, right? And I think where I stand on this is that I feel much more confident in what I'm going to get from the Suns and what to expect from them if they do make the finals. Whereas I just feel like the Bucks are more of a wild card. Like I, I felt like I had a really good sense of who the Bucks were after that Heat, heat series. And then after everything that happened in that Nets series, even though they won in seven games, but beating the Nets, going to seven games with them, with Kyrie and Harden basically only playing like three games each. Um, offensive, defensively, they've been incredible. But offensively, it feels like they don't really know what they're doing at times. I, I just, I, I still feel like I don't really know what to expect in the Bucks, and I just don't really know if I can like fully trust them. Um, but in saying that, like I do ultimately think the Bucks are going to have the best player in the series if they do meet in the finals. Like that, Giannis is the best player in that series. And anytime you have that, a very good defense, like of course they could win the NBA Finals. But I, I, I do feel like the Suns might just. I, I do feel a little, bit, a little bit safer in them right now. I don't know, man. Like, Connaughton's going to have to be a big player in this uh, bucks Hawk series. And then, like, I think, I don't know how he plays in the, the Sun series if the Bucks move on, because I don't think Tucker and Crowder makes a lot of sense in there. So you gotta, you're going to have to throw a lot of Connaughton out there, because DiVincenzo feels like forever ago, but he's gone. And not having that and not getting the Bogdanovich uh, signed to work out, which the Bogey Bowl, the Bud Bowl, there's all kinds of... Uh, little things going on with this bucks hawk series but like i have no idea i just think the suns all everything feels i don't know it's just kind of weird because like the suns feel like the heat did last year where everything came together at the right time you have the the league go-to score in the clutch and devin booker you have the vets around him like Dragic and cp3 to keep things moving and to get them to the next level you have the young guys and uh mikhail bridges and deandre ayton just similar to bam and um tyler hero like it just there's a lot of parallels there and Am I, am I misremembering? Was Jake Crowder a Miami Heat last year? I feel like he was, right? He was. Yeah. He was, yeah. They're just basically the Heat of the 2021 season, but the Heat obviously <laughs> did not win. But they had the Lakers with LeBron and AD, two top five players, just waiting for them. That's the reason they didn't win. They just ran into the buzzsaw that no one was going to get through. A healthy LeBron and a healthy Anthony Davis. Like, you're just not going to get through that. There is no buzzsaw awaiting the Phoenix Suns. Like, I think they are a more complete team. They know who they are more. They I trust them more in late-game situations. Like, we saw the Bucks should not have beaten the Nets. Like, it took everyone getting hurt for the Nets not to not to beat the Bucks. The Bucks did everything they could to lose to the Nets. Like, it's it's bad. Like, I don't think the Bucks are anywhere close to what the Suns are doing. I think it just sucks that the Clippers are... It looks like Kawhi Leonard is not going to be available for the rest of the series. And people are going to remember the Paul George missed free throws and all that kind of stuff. But, like, they were not going to win the series without Kawhi Leonard. Like, that was just not something that was going to happen. And it just sucks that this is happening in the Western Conference Finals. But I think the Bucks and Hawks are going seven. So they're going to beat each other in. And Ooh. I think it's going to be a bloodbath because I think the Bucks and the and the Hawks play the exact same way, which is they're going to float you to death. They're going to live and die by their non-shooters trey and buck and trey and buck trey and Giannis finding room just outside the restricted area like jared dubin has a really great piece on 538 today about this being like this is what's going to decide the series is like does trey 
get more floaters or does Giannis get more of his little, I don't even know what to call them, little bunnies inside that where he just does the halfback dive up the middle and sees what happens. But like, I, I just think that that's what it's going to come down to. And I think this Hawks team is just really hard to put away. I think bogey is hurt and I think that's going to be a problem. He has not been able to do much, but like who are they throwing on herder? So herder is going to have two or three games where he's just going to go off because there's no one in the bucks right now who they can just throw at him because they're going to throw Drew at Trey. They're going to throw Giannis at probably Collins. Um, there's just Middleton, mm-hmm. I guess, is an option there, but Middleton will probably start off on bogey, would be my guess. Um, and then Brooke and Capella is just a wash, but like, I don't know. I just think that the matchup situation here, I don't think PJ Tucker matters at all in this series. I, I don't know. I think uh, it's going to be one of those things where it's it's going to be ugly. I think both teams are going to really struggle offensively for a lot of the series, and uh they're going to be close every game. But then I think the Suns are just sitting there waiting for whoever gets out of this. And Devin Booker is like, yeah, uh, him and TP3 are like, yeah, yeah, we, we're good. We got this. But what if, what if the Bucks just get really weird? And they're like, all right, we're going to put P.J. Tucker on John Collins and Giannis, you're going to guard Trey. Mm. And Andrew Holiday, you're going to guard Kevin Herter. Um, this is a team coached by Bud. So I, I'm, I'm hesitant that he goes to say, that extreme. Yeah. But I also think something like that is interesting to me. But... I, I'm actually on the other side. I, I, I really respect this Hawks team. That's tough as nails. Trey Young is, is awesome. But I, I do, I worry about the Bogdanovich injury. And I, I think if he was 100% healthy going into this series and I was confident about him, I could see this going to like six or seven games potentially. But I think if, if he's compromised in any way, shape or form, I, I, I just, I have a hard time seeing, seeing the Hawks kind of, kind of pushing it to the distance. But, um, the other interesting thing is that, I, I mean, this is anything. Anytime you're talking about the box, the conversation is about, like, do you have the bodies to slow down Giannis? And I think I'm fascinated to see how the, the, the Hawks defend him in this series. Because I, I do think John Collins, I've been super impressed by him in these playoffs. I think he's probably going to get a, a good chunk of time on Giannis and just play him physically. And in the back line, you've got Clint Capella. And you're almost kind of mirroring what the Heat did last season, which is defend him with size at the point of attack with someone like a Jay Crowder who can be physical with him and then have rim protection behind him. But even beyond that, like the, the numbers point to the, I mean, Giannis averaged 40 points a game in two games against the Suns this season. So, so take this with a, a grain of salt, but like the numbers point to DeAndre Aiden actually playing him really well. And I think mm. I remember watching those games and being super impressed about how he defended him. And maybe we're just at a point with Giannis where like you can watch someone defend him and think they've done a really good job. And ultimately he can still score 34 points just because that's just the type of player he is. But I, I do, I feel like we walked into these playoffs kind of talking about like the Heat were potentially the only team that really stood a chance of slowing Giannis down. And I, I do think it's kind of interesting because I think the Hawks and the Suns sort of have a shot. Again, time will, time will tell if that, if that is really the case. But I, at least I don't think either team is at like a complete loss against him. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I just... I. The thing is, Trey's going to have to shoot more. Like, Bogey being out, like, Kevin Herter is going to have to have mm-hmm. multiple games where he shoots like he did in Game 7, but he went cold for three games, and then he's great. Red Velvet's just, like, part of being a role player is you're streaky. Like, that's part of the Kevin Herter experience is, like, you can't waste the games where he goes six for nine from three and find his, his just little pin-down floaters, and, like, you you got to use that. Um, Trey, though, like, I... Trey Young is a bona fide superstar. He's great. But you can tell how much someone watches Trey Young or has watched Trey Young to know like 
what, what just how much they are because like he will have those logo shots and like you remember the makes it's the kobe bryant thing where like you remember the ones that go in but you forget the five that preceded that shot right like you forget uh the bad shots and like I think Kobe was a, a better shooter uh, than Trey, but like, there's a reason that Trey shoots like 28%, 33% from three is that he's not a great shooter. And like, that's one of the things that Trey has not figured out yet is that he's not a great shooter and he takes some really bad ones. Just he pulls up and he's better about it than he used to be in the first couple years of his NBA career. But um, that is something like when they're doing the double drag and they do that more than anybody else in the league, like that's all great. And that all works. And Bogey's just been great from that is when they use the guards there, but like Trey is going to have to stop doing that. The way to attack this Bucks team and with Bogey being hurt a little bit is Trey is just going to have to draw fouls and Trey is going to have to live inside and whip the ball around and find Tony Snell or Solomon Hill or John Collins in the corner because they're going to have to step up and bogey being down and no deandre hunter but like that is what's going to frustrate me is if trey is still jacking those up and yes he makes them sometimes but like by and large like he's just he struggles from that area and he takes some really unnecessary threes still and he's not an elite shooter like trey young is not an elite shooter so like the stuff so like it's just not it's not real like do you do you agree with that sentiment because that does bother me a lot when people talk about him i think it's I think it's tricky because I know exactly what you're saying, but I, it's, it's, it's like, not, not, I, I mean, I know this is, this is going to annoy you because anytime it feels like Trey Young gets discussed, Luca name gets brought into it, mm. but it is a similar case with Luca. Like he is a high volume three point shooter mm. and you look at his career numbers. He was better this season, but th- like they weren't good. And I, I almost like, I don't know what to do with that information. Like I, I did an article going to the bubble last year, kind of looking at, Luca's shooting numbers and, and like, why are they so low and why is he taking so many? And it's just one of those things where I think if you look at the numbers, you're like, yeah, that he can't shoot. He's not a good shooter or whatever, but it's just these young guys in today's NBA. Like, like Kobe wasn't going back to the Kobe thing. Kobe wasn't shooting like high volume threes when he first came to the NBA. Right. right? You kind of grow into that. Um, and that's the, the thing with Trey. Like, I, I think he's a good shooter. Could he probably be more selective? Like if, if he's taking two, if he eliminates, those two bad threes a game or whatever it is. And suddenly he's shooting 37% from three. Yeah. He's doing that. We're talking about him in a different light, right? Correct. So I, I just, I don't, I, I wouldn't say like, I don't know if I'd say he's a bad shooter. I would just say. I'm being I, a little hard. He's a bad like, shot selection shooter where it's like, I think if he's taking four of those a night or just to, there's some of them where it's just like, he has space where it's like, he'll stop and launch, but like he had space to get inside mm-hmm. and drop out or actually do what he's elite at, which is floating. And, and it's like that area in the restricted area or just outside is his bread and butter that's just where he should live oh, he's unbelievable so he just yeah, he's unbelievable he, he shoots himself in the range. foot with some of these where like it just he'll make some big ones and that's great but like by and large those are not good looks and he usually doesn't knock those down but i guess it's just more of like to keep him happy you give him those you're like all right i guess if you want to shoot 31 percent for forever from deep like that's fine but like you're so good here just keep doing that yeah, I mean, he, he. I thought, I thought the Sixers actually did a pretty good job, all things considered, kind of defending that floater and the alley oop that he that he lost to throw to Clint Capella and John Collins. It still felt like every single game that the the Hawks won, they got that. Trey Young hit like three or four floaters. He had a couple alley oops. Like it's it's so difficult to defend him in that area, and he almost has like I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. He almost has like a little James Harden in him from that range, where it's like 
he'll rise up. And if you pause it, you can't tell if he's going to shoot a floater or if he's going to throw an alley-oop. And it's almost mm. like he's waiting until the last split, like the last, last second to see what the defender is going to do and then make his decision. Like he's so good at manipulating the defense in those situations. And yeah, I mean, it feels like he can get it pretty much anywhere he wants. Right. And you referenced that piece that Jared Dubin wrote, like that we know the Bucks how they're going to defend him. Like Brooke Lopez loves to hang back in the plane. They play a drop coverage and that dance between that, is he going to shoot the floater? Is he going to throw the alley-oop? Like, how do I defend that? Um, just defensively for the Bucks, like that's going to be a huge factor in the series. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I don't know. We, we shall see. Um, is it's going to be any, fun series. It, it should be. Um, is there anything when you're jotting down your notes, when you're watching this Clippers team go down 0-2, is there anything missing outside of like, obviously Kawhi for the Clippers in the series. Is there any rotational adjustments they can make or should make? Is there any type of play that they're not running enough, not enough pistol action? Like what, what are you seeing that you're like, mm, I would, to get this back on track, I would do more of X. I, I don't know, to be honest, because I feel like part of me just feels like this is, this is kind of, I don't want to say it for the Clippers, but it just feels like the losses that they've had, they're really feeling now. Like, it, it is easy to forget that they don't have Serge Ibaka, who was, like, their number one free agent in the offseason. And I think, you know, so much of this conversation about the Clippers in the playoffs to this point has been how their big lineups with Zubac on the court really struggle and how when they go small, like, you can't keep up with them offensively and they can switch and make you uncomfortable. Serge Ibaka was almost going to be, like, that, that medium, right, between those two styles of play. And I think this is a series where that, that ultimately would have really helped. And it's funny, actually, though, you look at the, 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 like the lineup data. Um, I mean, in the, in the last series against the Jazz, again, they pointed to like anytime Zubac played, anytime they played like a traditional five, um, they were just getting blown out by the Jazz. But anytime they went small, they were either kind of like treading water or, or blowing the Jazz out. And we're only two games into this series. We're still working with some small sample sizes. But the numbers basically point to the exact same thing. The problem now is that Marcus Morris, who is so key to what they do on both ends of the court when they play small, is dealing with an injury and just doesn't really look like himself. And I think, you know, suddenly you don't have Ibaka. Suddenly Marcus Morris is, is kind of dealing with this injury. You obviously don't have Kawhi. I, I just wonder if that's ultimately like that's too many things for them to overcome um, to actually push this series or even win this series. And, you know, Chris Paul is potentially coming back in game three. Um, by all accounts, it seems like that's, a possibility, if not game three, game four. So the fact that the Suns have already won two games without him, you got to win four of the next six or four of the next five. I, 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 I love what the Clippers have done, and I think Tyron Lue is going to make, he's proven through two rounds, he's going to make every adjustment he can to kind of, you know, get as much out of this team as possible. I, I just feel like there may be too many, too many factors at this point for them to overcome. Yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I don't see it flipping, which just stinks because, I mean, I... I had uh, Clippers Nets before the season as my finals pick. And I just think that ultimately neither of those teams made it because their health just did not allow them to make it, which stinks that yeah. uh, a lot of that will come to it. But that's no indictment on the Suns and the Sun shots. Like you play the hand you're dealt. That's how it works. And you can't uh, exactly. You got to do it. Um, NBA draft lottery fallout winners and losers mm-hmm. for you, Scott. Um, I mean, the obvious one is the Pistons for being a winner because congratulations, they just got Cade Cunningham who 
I, I, this is about the time that I usually kind of dive in. As I told you, I don't watch a ton of college basketball. This is usually the time that I dive into the tape, but everyone who I respect and I, I trust knows about draft and prospects and everything says he's, an, he's going to be an absolute stud. So I think you have to start with them. I think the other winners are the Raptors who entered the night, I think with the seventh, most likely to pick like seventh or eighth and they moved up to fourth. And regardless of who goes in the three picks ahead of them, I think they're going to have a chance to add a really good young piece to a, a championship proven core who get after it on both ends of the core and have one of the best coaches in the league. And I think they're going to have a pretty quick turnaround from what was a miserable season for them. So I think those are clearly the, the two winners um, for the lottery for me At, on the losing front. Obviously the Timberwolves and the Bulls, both of whom lost their picks because of trades. Um, I, I don't even know if I want to call them a loser because they have what feels like a hundred first round picks over the next 10 years or whatever. But um, I, like there was a chance that the Thunder were going to get two top five picks in this draft. And it wasn't even like some outside shot. It was like, I, I think they had a 40% chance to move up or 45% chance of moving up into the top four themselves. And then there was just under a 50% chance of the Rockets falling to five. And had that happened, they would have got the Rockets first round pick. So they could have had like two and five. Um, and ultimately I think they ended up with, with just number six, which gives them a great opportunity to add someone to their core, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Lou Dort, Poku. Um, so it, it's still looking great. Hold on great one them, second. But... One second. If we're going to do the I Thunder stuff, hold on Poku. one second. Um, they don't have a core. <laughs> I I am well, so um, adamantly opposed to what Sam Presti's doing. Like I hate it. I think it sucks. Like all oh, of this sucks. And I I'm not. I cannot root for failure more than I can for Clay Bennett and Sam Presti and what they're doing in OKC. I hope nothing more than this just blowing up in their face because this is ridiculous. It's just giving them all kinds of time. Like SGA is a all-star and he has like, he is so much fun to watch. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I love Shea Gilgis Alexander. He is not a core piece because by the time that Shea is going to have other players who are on his level and guys that are actually going to be like playoff important guys, he's going to be like 30. Like it's it's already over. Like it, the timelines will not work with him and OKC. And I don't think Poku is a court. Like I don't think he's the, somebody they envision as like one of their closing five <laughs> on a title contending team. And then Lou Dort's best value is trading him to a contender who is like we need a like the Jazz. Like the Jazz should be just offering multiple picks to put him in at that wing spot to replace Royce O'Neal. Like just to shoulder some load for Conley and Mitchell and guys like that. Like just that wing stopper. Like that that's who they should go after. But like they don't have a core. Like they just moved uh, Moses Brown, who looked pretty good, and Horford to Boston for Kimba to do their rehab with Kimba and just what they do now and acquire more picks. But like, no, I hate it. It sucks, and I hope they never have any lottery luck ever. I'm I'm not gonna put up with this thunder slide though. Well, mm. what what is going on here? Um, look, I, I'm with you. I think Shea's awesome, and it was it's easy to forget that like this team was kind of in like the playoff conversation this year when Shea was healthy. Like mm-hmm. they were kind of floating around 500. And look, you're right. Like they have a ton of young guys on this team. Who knows what they're going to look like in two, three, four years time. But I do think like Shea is an all-star caliber player. Mm-hmm. Lou Dort is already one of the best primitive defenders in the league. I thought mm-hmm. he had like a real shot at making an all-defensive team this season. And to think that they could add a top 10 player in this draft who everyone says is a really deep draft, and also the other factor of this, they have so many first round picks 
that like I don't even know if they're going to be able to select, like use all those picks and keep all those players on my roster because it's something like like isn't it like sixteen picks over the next five six years? Yeah, like that's a roster in itself. But the the like they they could just package a lot of those picks and go after the next disgruntled star, and suddenly you're pairing Shea Lou Dort player X who they get from this draft um, with a, with an up and coming star or something like that. Like I I, I do think there is. I don't think that's what they want to do. That being, I, I, who knows? I I, I could be I, wrong. I mean, Sam Presti just think, built it from like he's done it before, and I think there's an arrogance where he's like, "I've done it before. I selected three future Hall of Famers. Um, I, I trust my judgment. I can redo it. Like the the odds of Sam Presti redoing what he did in OKC is slim to none. Like I'm betting against it. Like the idea that an NBA GM is going to go two for two. And drafting just like what six Hall of Famers in a twenty-year time span, like probably not going to happen. Probably not going to be something I'm betting on, right? <laughs> like I think that I, maybe I'm a cynical person by nature, but like no, unlikely. But I also just think that like they're not going to put all their chips in. I think this whole thing is about just taking as many bites at the apple in the draft and then moving a bunch of picks for role players. Like I think they are not going to move those picks until they think they found like one or two franchise cornerstones and i don't think they see any of their current players as franchise cornerstones yet i i would i could be wrong but that would be my guess see i, I feel like i'm a little bit more optimistic because mm. again i they, they were actually kind of competitive this season who yeah. knows you get a player from this draft that's how they avoid the same hinky like, stuff i think they want to be just competitive enough to where it's like people aren't just like hey this is this is this is bullshit like what's going on over here this is they're not building anything <laughs> that this is ridiculous I mean, they go close to that this season. Mm-hmm. They they were quite clearly tanking down the street. I mean, they yeah. were sitting, They just pulled I, I Horford for no reason. Door. Well, that too. Yeah, he. I I couldn't believe that, by the way, because I remember like I, I remember writing about Horford last year before the trade deadline as like a is is this you know is he going to get traded kind of thing, and him having a good season. And then when that trade happened the other day, like I looked, I pulled up his stats again, and he only I could like I couldn't believe that he only played what was it like twenty five thirty games. Like I I just. I thought at the time it was way more than that. Yeah. But looking at it and actually seeing it really, uh, really shocked me. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, don't know. I hope I, nothing I'm but, more, nothing but terrible things in OKC for the foreseeable future. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. So they would lose in the draft by, like, by your account is what yeah. it sounds like. I think the biggest winner for me is actually not the Pistons. I think the Pistons are in a tough, tough spot because Jonathan Sharks has a really good piece and the ringer today, um, about, just what they have to do because they basically have to blow up their roster if they take Cunningham because the way he plays like Killian Hayes does not fit next to him and you just drafted him in the lottery like you cannot play those two together probably so like what do you what do you do there and um I like the Jeremy Grant stuff this year I thought he was awesome um and I think he'll pair well with Cunningham but like the way this roster's built it it's just going to be tough to surround Kate Cunningham with the recent lottery picks to make it to make it work um so like Jalen Green and Mobley are actually better fits or sub, or even Suggs because um, he's more of a shooter. But like, I, I don't know. I think the Rockets to me are the biggest winners because that Harden stuff was brutal and the way it happened, I think was wrong in a lot of ways. I think Steven Silas was dealt a really bad hand here. Um, it was looking pretty bleak in Houston and now they can go Mobley or Green and they already have Christian Wood locked up and there's a way to be like, hmm, they could they could flip this. Like, I think one of these three guys could be a superstar, and like to immediately get a another potential game changer in like Jalen Green or whoever right away. 
I think uh, it's good. Like I, I think the Rockets actually might uh, might be okay pretty early on. I think a, a major loser is still the Magic because they just no lottery out luck there. They just they'll never be number one and never have that opportunity to get the Kate Huntingham type. I I just feel like. Yeah, that was tough for them. Um, to your point on the Rockets being a winner too. Like like I said, they basically had a fifty fifty shot essentially at keeping that pick. So I think you're right. The fact that they did keep that pick is a is a yep. home run for them considering what they went through. Um, the Warriors are harder to read. Do you think they keep both those picks? I <sighs> uh, I honestly I have no idea. I I really don't. Like uh, we we we're, we're kind of talking. We have something coming on our site. Um, all of us are kind of weighing in on what they should do. And I, I, right now, I really don't even know how to answer it. Like, I feel like I need to look into more of the draft, kind of what they could get in that range. But I also, like, I, I just don't know, what, are they packaging that pick with, with, like, James Wiseman and then salary, essentially, to go after a bigger star? And I also just, like, I don't know who that star is. Like, we, we spent, well, like, 15, 20 minutes talking about Ben Simmons, like, do we really think Ben Simmons in Golden State next to Draymond Green, Steph, and Clay is like is that the answer for them? Um, I mean, Beal is is the obvious one, and everyone wants to talk about you know can you go get Bradley Beal by packaging this that together? But who knows if he's ever going to become available? And obviously, these things can change quickly. Like we've seen in the past, next week, who knows who could have requested a trade? Like that's just how crazy the NBA is. Yeah, that these things like turn on a dime. But um, I I just I I feel like I I don't have a good sense of what they could kind of how they could use that pick if they were to trade it like who they could go after yeah i i don't know who it is either but they are in for a very interesting offseason at the very least um oh yeah last thing and we'll we'll wrap up here scott um two things i guess this is a two-parter emma yudoka as we started recording got hired as the the new head coach of the boston celtics i don't know if you saw that I didn't. Yeah, so he is the new head coach. Brad Stevens hires Ime Udoka away from Brooklyn. Um, we'll see. I think this is, I, I I don't pretend to have any idea. Like I thought, Lloyd Pierce was gonna be awesome, and Nick McMillan has been just a godsend in Atlanta. Like it's just we we never know. The second part of this is: <laughs> Do you think I talked about this last week in the podcast? And I, it's really hard for me to figure out the best way to approach this subject because I. I I don't know how to approach it really, but like Becky Hammond got revealed as a finalist for the Portland job, right? And we know mm-hmm. she's been interviewing for a while. We know that she's been assistant for San Antonio for what, like seven years now. Um, she's qualified. She should get one of these jobs. I don't know if it's healthy to have it come out that like if the female owner of the Blazers now had it her way that. Beck, then Becky would be the coach because now it just puts Billups in a horrible position if they go with him or any other candidate because that shows that she didn't get her way and that he like someone usurped Becky and like there's just landmines there where it's like I don't know if any the way we're covering this is good I don't think it's helpful for Becky I don't think it's helpful to push it this way it's just it should be normalized to the point of like, I don't know if it's good that these finalists come out anyway. Like, I don't really think that that's ever really good, but like, I just, I don't know the backlash there. And just when teams go through it and then if they don't hire, it's like, Oh, this is nonsense. They can't, I can't believe they didn't do blah, but it's like, if they go Chauncey over her, yeah, I can understand like being like, mm, what is Chauncey's been on the bench for what one year, but then 
I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. Because, like, what does Dame want? Does Dame want Chauncey and you want to make Dame happy? I have no idea. Like, I'm not going to pretend to know any of that. But, like, I just, I'm concerned with the way we're doing this. I don't, I just don't think it's fair for Becky to approach it this way. Does that make sense? No, I think it does. I, I mean, first of all, it's hard to know what's going on in Poland right now because of the whole Jason Kidd thing, too. It's not yeah. like he was the favorite to kind of get that job, and then that fell fell apart what felt like because of some of the backlash that they were getting based on that reporting, uh, the, the the Blazers, that is. So I, it's just it's really hard to know. And the other part of this, too, like I think the Blazers' job could be really good, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have a top-10 player in Damian Lillard. Clearly, this team has its sights on competing. Um, it's also just a really difficult job. Like you're going to go in and there's a lot to kind of fix on that team. I, I think it's fair to say, like, we really don't know what the Blazers are going to look like next season outside of Damian Lillard. Cause I would assume that they're going to make some changes based on how things played out in the playoffs. Like it, it feels like we talked about the 76ers for so long. It kind of feels like the Blazers nearly need to shake things up a little bit as much as they can, because clearly what they have right now is not working. So I, I think it's just all in all, I think it's a very confusing situation. And I don't know if it's just because, it feels like the last 18 months in the NBA has been just absolutely wild and nothing has compared to it. And I feel like I can't really remember. And maybe, again, maybe I'm just completely misremembering things. I feel like I can't really remember finalists for so many jobs being talked about and reported at like it is right now. Like this seems kind of weird to me. Yeah, I I would agree. It's just weird. And I don't know. I she's going to get one of these jobs. Like Becky is going to get one. Of she these should. Jobs. She absolutely and, should. I mean, yeah, you look at, yeah, you look at her resume, like the, she, there's no reason why she shouldn't have one of these jobs. You, you, like you right. said, I think it's San Antonio under pop for six years. We know about all about the co- the, the pop coaching tree. You look at what she accomplished in the WNBA, like her resume screams, like, you know, she should have a shot. She should absolutely get one of these jobs. Yeah. I also just, I, I guess more to like, they're like if it's between like her and darvin ham for like indy right like darvin ham's the only coach i heard this on uh tom's show last night too of which is like stephen jones pointed this out that everyone during that early bud hawks tenure um with quinn snyder and all those guys like he's the only one in that team photo who's not been a coach and he's interviewed forever and just like it's crazy that darvin ham has not gotten a head coaching job around the league yet um but if it's between those two and you go with Darwin, is it like, oh, Becky passed over again? They don't want it. It's like, well, this guy's been waiting for it. Like, what? Like, there's got to be a way to do this where we're just like, I don't know, man. Like, I I just struggle with it. And I don't, I just want everyone to look at it as like, a, like, I, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's so hard to talk about because I want to, I don't know. I just want this to be a healthy process and I want this to be fair and i want this to be something that we can all normalize and just approach like hey she's one of the candidates and she's going to get one of these jobs and i think there she goes through different things than other people and it's not fair and some of the stuff has not been fair but like i think she's going to get one of these jobs like it is going to happen i and there's a lot of openings right now like i would honestly be surprised if she doesn't get them but um i don't know we just uh that but darvin ham deserves a job like i hope he gets one of these jobs i hope like steve clifford deserves one of these jobs because steve clifford is a really good coach who's never coached a good team like that dude i just want to see him in on a win now team i would love to see steve mm-hmm. clifford with a contender like him in portland i think actually would be pretty interesting um i don't know like i just think there's a lot that goes into all these different ones and we don't know how any of these coaches will be Yudoka might be terrible i don't know 
Lloyd Pierce was like, yeah. just, it didn't work. Like, we have no idea. Coaching the NBA is hard. Steve Nash, just who cares? Like, some players, they just come in, doesn't matter. Like, we have no idea how any of these coaches are going to be on the bench. I guess is my broader point, too. Just like, oh, they got to hire Blonde. Like, do they? Do you know? How do you know this? What? We, we have no idea. We don't know what we're talking about. And the other thing, too, there's, I mean, it's, it's important to keep in mind, there are only 30 head coaching yep. jobs in the NBA, right? And even now, you just told, like, this, Mike D'Antoni is, is, looks like he's trying to get a new head coaching job. I think D'Antoni is incredible, um, especially offensively as a coach. You have Rick Carlisle out there right now. You said Steve Clifford. Um, so there, there are still, like, accomplished, well-known coaches who are available this offseason. And, look, it seems like Bud is safe based on some of the reporting that's come out of that net series. And we can criticize Bud all we want, but like, he's a very good coach. Do you know what I mean? Like, if he becomes available, a team that's trying to compete or trying to like speed up their rebuild or anything, like, they're, they're absolutely going to go after him. And there's just so many jobs. And also, like, someone like Steven Silas, by the way, like, it's, it's incredible. Like, it, it blows my mind that it's taken him this long to get a job. Cause you like, you look at how long he's been in the league, all these different kind of hats that he's worn, all these different things that he's done. Like, he absolutely should have been a head coach earlier. But again, it's just, there's only so many positions available. Um, and there's just, it's, it's so competitive. There are so many people competing for those spots every single year. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. Just hope for the best. I hope qualified people, I hope owners and GMs make good faith, uh, choices. Like just look like good faith choices. Everyone get a fair shot. Like look at who interviews well, who doesn't like there's all kinds like just, I just want it to be a healthy, fair process. That's all I want. There's the liberal in me. I just want a healthy, fair process. Um, Scott, <laughs> um, what can we check out from you across NBA Canada this week or anywhere else, my friend? Uh, just more playoff stuff. Um, we've got a lot of draft coverage on our site right now. Uh, Kyle Loving, our draft experts, and doing a great job on that. Um, and yeah, just I, I'm focusing mainly on the playoffs. I wrote kind of a, a deep breakdown on DeAndre. Aiden's uh, game-winning bucket and kind of all the details that went into that. Um, and then I think tomorrow, so Thursday, by the time you're hearing this, I will probably have something else out on DeAndre Aiden and how much he's kind of completely changed himself in these playoffs into a new player um, compared to the regular season. So those are it's going to be a couple Sundays for me, I think. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much for making the time, Scott. I greatly appreciate it. It was great to check back in. Let's Anytime. not make it a, a year before our check-ins. For sure, for sure. Absolutely. It's, it's, always a, it's always a pleasure. So thank you very much. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.